when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Oh, what a statement. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Now, being that we got some of the pictures, some of us would say, you know, they didn't they know he was the son of God and everything, but you got to be in their shoes. This is their son, their parents, they love him, they've been taking care of him. They, Jesus was probably a regular little boy getting into stuff like little boys do. Doing the kind of things little boys do, making slingshots, shooting rocks, you know what I'm saying? The kind of stuff, you know, little boys do if he had firecrackers, he'd have been off popping them. Amen. I mean, he, he was just probably a normal little boy, and, and here he is missing. They've gone a whole day. Think about how frantic you would be if you traveled an entire day. You traveled an entire day, you, and then you found out, where's G? You thought Jesus was some of the family, your cousin in them. And you go for hunting for Jesus, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And, 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 and so you say, where's Jesus? And so you have to listen to this now. You're already, you're already upset because he's not there. Now you have to take your camel. They didn't have cars. You have to get on your camel and go back a whole day's journey. Now the whole way, the whole way. So Y'all, come on, talk to me. The whole way you saying, when I find that boy. Come on, y'all, raise your hand if that's you. Raise your hand. Tell the truth and shame the devil if that's you. When I find that boy. Let's think like parents for just a moment. And they all the way, they talking to one another. You're going to have to get him before I get him. If there's anything left, then, you know, so, so they all, because they're thinking like what? Parents. So when she gets to Jesus, it's not this nice little dialogue. It, it's not, it's not, oh, Jesus. Why weren't you with us? It's boy. Where were you? What are you? Now, now, here's the thing. Here's what brought them down some. When they walked through the door where he was, he's sitting with men twice his age holding conversation about the things of God. So whatever level they came in on, when they saw this glory coming out of this little boy, it brought them down at least some, but their concern was still the same. 
He said, Jesus, why have you done this to us? Why have you done this? Why have you made us worry so badly? Why have you taken us through all the stress? And, and, and look at your daddy. You made us have to come all this way back for you. And Jesus asked the question, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know? I mean, mama, you of all people. Daddy, you of all people ought to know that you know why I'm here. You know how I got here. Don't forget your conversation with the angel. You know I'm special. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? What a statement from a little boy. So I, I, I didn't think about this scripture until this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Elder Johnson, I, I said, thank you, Holy Spirit. He said, Holy Ghost, Holy. I was about to say Holy Spirit. He said, Holy Ghost, because, you know, he's from, he from the Holiness Church. He said, Holy Ghost. I, I'm Baptist. I was about to say Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Uh, just some of the differences, but we, but we still giving the same one thanks. Same, same one. Holy Ghost, Spirit, same one. Same one, same one. Amen. Uh, call him, just call him, just make sure you call him. So anyway, so, so, so uh, I'm thanking the Holy Spirit and I'm saying, wow, thank you for pointing this out to me, that Jesus was engaged in the business of the Father. And so it aligns so clearly with what he had already given me. If you go to John 3, 14, Elder Johnson read it earlier. And, and I'm saying to myself now, oh, I see his business. I see his business. I see what it is. I see, the, I see the task at hand. I see what it is the father gave him to do. I see the assignment. See, if you look at verse 14 in chapter 3, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. Oh, I see the business. I see the assignment. I see, I see Jesus. You're here. For the purpose of being lifted up. So today I want to speak to you for just a bit, for just a bit from the topic, the father's business. The father's business. Everybody say the father's business. Now in John 3 and 14, we find Jesus explaining to Nicodemus that in the same way as the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, Numbers 21, that Jesus has to be lifted up, okay? Now, he, he begins the statement with Nicodemus because, as you know, Nicodemus was one of the rulers, uh, one of the ruling uh, in the Sadducees and Pharisees, Pharisees exactly, uh, leaders of the synagogue, and, and he, he came to Jesus at night, and, and he began to speak to Jesus about the amazing things he did, and he, he complimented Jesus, saying, no one can do the things that you do except God be with him, and Jesus begins to speak to him about being born again. 
And he said to him, listen, that's really good, but the, the fact of the matter is you have to be born again. And he began to talk to him about water and spirit, and that's born of flesh being flesh, and, and, and spirit is spirit. And, and so he says to him, he says, how can, um, is that possible? How can I go into my mother's womb and be born again? And, and he, he goes through all of these things with him, and he ends up at this place, okay? And he's saying, listen, I, I, can't, I just let's cut to the chase. I need you to understand that just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So he's trying to tell him what he came here for. He's trying to explain to him his purpose. Now, in order for us to fully get a, a hold of it, um, if you still carry Bibles, if you have your cell phone, go to Numbers chapter 21. Um, let's go there and let's take a look at what it says. Go to verse 4. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. Um, but we need to start at verse 4 to really get an understanding of this whole lifting up the serpent thing. Um, what does it mean? What is Jesus talking about? What is he referencing? In, in Numbers 21 and 4, are you there? It says, that then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Um, as the souls of people tend to do when they're on the way to their destiny. And things aren't happening at the pace or in the way that they want it to happen. That's, that's what happens. But here's what we have to avoid. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food in the water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now, the bread at one time was a blessing. But now they're tired of the bread. So, so the problem is they're saying, God, you're providing, but we're tired of the way you're doing it. We want it our way. We want it, we want it to happen faster. We're ready to be in the promised land. We're sick of all this walking around, and, and we're tired of this. And they call the bread worthless. So the, now, now issue, the issue is he normally took issue when they talked bad to Moses, but this time they're talking to Moses and God. Now, they, they got to be mighty discouraged because they're not using their right minds right now. So here's, here's what happens. Verse 6. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And, and what happened? What did serpents do? And they bit the people. They bit the people. That's what serpents do. They bit the people. And many of the people of Israel, what happened? Died. Now, now imagine this. You in the, you're in the children of Israel, right? And so it's a group of y'all on this side. Now, don't nobody take offense. I'm not saying that y'all will complain against God, but I just stood on this side, okay? Now, next time I'll go over there, but this time I'm over here. So imagine you over here and all of us, um, you know, saying no. In fact, all of us in the room, we all, I'm going to stand in the middle. All of us in the room, we're here together, and, 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 and we've been wandering around. It's hot. And, 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 and we ain't had water in a couple of hours, and ain't no bathroom around here, nothing, you know what I'm saying? Um, then you don't understand what I'm saying, and, 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 we, and we're sick of this same bread every day. And we look up to heaven and say, God, why have you and Moses brought us out here to kill us? And by the way, we're sick of this bread you've given us. And, and then the serpents pop up, and all of a sudden, uh, your friends and family dropping like flies. Now, 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 and now instantly you have a conversion experience. Instantly, you regret everything you said. You separate yourself from the dead bodies and say, Moses, pray for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Just a moment ago, you couldn't stand Moses. But now you see bodies dropping all around you, and Moses is your friend again. 
I want to tell some of y'all, you have an anointing on your life that's so powerful, people are drawn to you, but they're not drawn to you because they love you. They're drawn to your anointing. And they will love you, Mike, when it's convenient. That must have come from heaven because that's not in my notes. But don't be upset. One of the things I learned... Teach, Holy Spirit. One of the things I learned during my years of pastoring is that my relationship with everybody is not the same. They dictate the level of relationship. I'm going to get off that. I'm going to teach that in the minister's class. If you want to learn it, come. Now, so, so they go back to Moses, and Moses not tripping because he's been through this enough. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. A lot of them died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Well, of course you did. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. We're sorry, Moses. We're sorry, Lord. Pray to the Lord that he take away the servants from us. So here's Moses. Here's the man of God. Smitty, uh, Ed, uh, Johnson, uh, uh, all the preachers, uh, Sheree, all the ministers of the gospel, uh, uh, pray for him. No matter how it went down, no matter how much it hurt your feelings, no matter how ugly it was, your call is to intercede anyway. Moses doesn't say, well, I mean, just a minute ago, you didn't like me. I ain't, I ain't praying for none of y'all jokers. I, I hope all the snakes get you. Three or four at a time. He didn't do that. Moses, Moses went to God. Well, that's a man of God right there. That is a man of God. He went to God. He prayed for the people. And look at what God does. Watch God now. Uh, where are we at? Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. Do, do what? Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Now, it's important that he points out that it's bronze. Because bronze, see, the serpent represents evil. But the bronze serpent represents uh, judgment. Because, see, bronze has to go through fire in order for it to be formed. So it goes through the fires of judgment. So what this bronze serpent represents is judgment dealt with and sin forgiven. I'm about to have church all by myself. So he says, I want you to put something that represents forgiveness and judgment dealt with on a pole. And if they look at it, no matter how much poison they have in their bodies, they will live and not die. So Moses made a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the serpent, he lived. Now, so this is the thing. He takes the serpent, he puts it up, and, and, and so Elder Johnson, you asked a, a, an amazing question in the back. You asked, why would he use serpent? When it's the serpent, there was the reason as to why everybody was going through what they were going through. The difference, see, uh, I told you about the judgment, right? And, and the fire, and, and this serpent, this bronze serpent represents judgment dealt with, forgiveness. He's saying, I dealt with what caused you to die. 
Listen to what he's saying. I already dealt with it. And if you look up to it, if you look up at the dealt with, you live. Now, why does he use a snake? Here's the answer. The difference between the snake that bit him and the snake that looked like looked at is that there was no poison in this snake. There was no poison in this snake. Let me give you a scripture, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. He made Christ who knew no sin. To be judicially, to be sin on our behalf. So that in him, we will become the righteousness of God. That is, we will be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. See, what God did, let's look at the parallel. What God did is what was killing us. He made Jesus to be, to be that. The difference between Jesus and us is that what was in us killing us wasn't in Jesus. See, sin was killing us. There was no sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. What Jesus represented on the cross of Calvary was sin dealt with. Judgment dealt with. See, see, he had to judge. He, I, I'm going too fast. Y'all stay with me. There, there, there was a similitude, though. That's a difference. That's a difference. Somebody said that's a difference. That's a difference. That, that, that serpent had poison in it, but, but this serpent on the pole didn't have uh, poison in it. But there's a similitude. God sent something that looked like what was killing him to save him. That's a similar to something that looked just like, uh, just like it, looked just like it, bronze serpent. And, and you got to imagine, watch this, they, they, they're standing there saying, what, you want me to look up at a snake? But snakes is what's killing us. And you want us to look at that in order for us to be saved? And so God says, uh, uh, these men down here, they fill with sin, and sin is taking them out left and right. So what I'll do is I'll send my son. He'll become sin. Um, and then that way, um, when they look to him, uh, they can be saved. Because um, Jesus said, just like the serpent was lifted up um, from, from, from the earth, he said, I got to be. So what happens is when you look up to them, now see, here's the thing. See, our problem is we start thinking like, man, how in the world is a man going to save me? But see, you, he sent something that looked. He sent something that looked like the problem in order to deliver us from the problem. Let's go further. Romans 8 and 3. Just, just check the screen. It's up there. We're going to read the Amplified. For what the law could not do, that, it, that, that, that is overcome sin and remove its penalty, its power, being weakened by the flesh, man's nature without the Holy Spirit. God did. What did he do? He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh, mm. subdued it, mm. and overcame it in the person of his son. See, what God did, God said, let me show you what I'm going to do. Man was the one who sinned in the first place. He brought all of this upon the earth. What's his name? Adam. Adam. 
Adam was the cause of all of these issues, not the serpent. The serpent wasn't the cause. The serpent couldn't have caused this mess. It was Adam that caused this mess by disobeying God and doing what he wanted to do and doing his own thing and being man enough to choose to treat even though God told him not to. So what God does is he sends his son, but he sends his son looking like an Adam. Yes, God, the second Adam. And, and watch this now. And it says that the law couldn't get us out of this mess. So he sends his son in the likeness of sinful man as an offering for sin. Because man caused the problem a man had to die for it. Y'all stay with me now. This is gospel teaching. And he condemned sin in the flesh. He subdued it. And overcame it in the person of his son. Catch this. Jesus on the cross subdued sin. What does it mean to subdue something? It means that you take control over it. You exercise power over it. And then guess what else he did? He overcame it. See, sin is our problem more than it's God's problem. Because God said, I already dealt with sin on the cross of Calvary. Sin is no problem for me. Oh, let's read it from the New Living Translation just to get a little more clarity. Calm down, Paul Taylor. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. What does this mean? The law couldn't save us because we couldn't keep it. Our nature was so sinful, we could see right, but couldn't do it. Elder Smith, not long ago, you talked about Paul, who says that there's a war, come on, in my members. He said, the things I shouldn't do are the things I do. The things I should do are the things I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I got a revelation. I thank God through Christ Jesus. See, there's your deliverance. You're not supposed to always have this struggle with your flesh. You're not supposed to always be doing the wrong thing, even though you know it's wrong, and not doing the right thing, even though you do know it's right. If you have accepted what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, you have overcome sin. I need about two or three more people to at least act happy about this here. See, because we want to blame our war and our members for why we still acting up. So that's now our excuse. I got a war in my members. Remember what Paul said? I just can't find my do right. I just can't get my act right. I just can't turn my life around. I just can't love my enemy. I just can't stop having sex. I just can't stop cussing. I just can't stop being mad. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is your deliverance and you don't have to keep being bound by sin because he subdued it and overcame it. Somebody shout yes. And that's the truth, Ruth. <laughs> Look what he did. So God did what the law could not do. What did he do? He sent his son like a, in a body like the bodies we sinners have. 
That's what he did. And God declared an end to sin's control over us. Oh, we should have shouted louder than that. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. By giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. So you know what happened when Jesus went to that cross? God said, I am making a declaration. Hear ye, hear ye. All of you who believe on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of my son and your Messiah, Jesus the Christ, sin no longer has power over you. Somebody grab your neighbor and tell them sin doesn't have power over me. The devil can't make me do nothing. Somebody said, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Hey, somebody say, no power, no control. Now, we're going we gonna to really shout in a couple of minutes. Watch this. There was also this similitude. All they had to do, Pastor Leslie, all they had to do was believe to be saved. No works whatsoever. Look at the similar two. All they had to do was believe that when they looked up at the serpent on the pole, that God would deliver them. And all we have to do today is look up to the one that was lifted up and believe that for all the lying we did, for all the stealing we did, for all the dope we smoked, for all the liquor we drank, for all the skirts we chase, and all the skirts that stop running. That if we looked up to the one who was lifted up, we'd be saved. No works involved. I like the way the message really just encapsulates Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. I'm going to skip that one, high school. I'm going to go straight to the message. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's all God, baby. It ain't your prayer life. Or the lack thereof. It ain't your scripture reading. Or the lack thereof. See it's all God's doing. And all they had to do was trust God enough. To obey his word. God you said look we're looking. And everybody who looked at the serpent. Lived. So you got to imagine. 
that there were some practical people, Portia. Practical people who said, we're going to have to get somebody to suck this poison out of my leg. There are some people who said, I saw in the Western one time where they cut the person's leg open. Where the snake bit them and drained them. Y'all ain't going to have no church with me today. I'm going to go on there. I'm going to have some. How many of y'all going to go on there? There'll be some practical people that says you need to lift your leg up or you need to run in place so you don't fall asleep or something like that. And while the practical people were dropping like flies, some of the crazy people who just trusted God just... So why, so why some people said, I got to pray until it happened. Some people said, I got to fast until it happened. Sam, some of us crazy people just decided that we would. I got to go to 10 baptisms, 15 prayer meetings. I got to go to 25 revivals. I got to run around the church and twirl like a spinning top. And while some people were doing all of that, me and Deacon King decided that we were tired, we were out of breath, and we were dizzy, and nothing was happening in our lives. So we made up our mind that we would just... Somebody grab your neighbor and say, look up. The work has already been done. Sin has already been overcome. All you got to do is believe enough. And what my brothers on the radio call the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Around here trying to work our way in. Going and getting the snake bite book. And when while you're reading the introduction, before you can even get to chapter one, and two people who looked up now got to carry you off to bury you. See, I, 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 I wish that the people who let people fool them into thinking that they can work their way into this thing or they can work their way out of sin. I wish that you'd look around at the lives of the people who are trying to work and just look at the people who were just foolish enough to believe the gospel. It is through the foolishness of preaching that we who believe might be saved. I know I look crazy, but this crazy gospel it's what saved me. It's what redeemed me. That he was born of the Virgin Mary. That he lived on the earth for three and a half years. And that he died on the cross. Somebody say that message got me saved. Oh, it ain't intellectual. It don't stroke your intellectual ego. But I tell you, that's a good sermon. Somebody say he died. Grab your neighbor and say, he died for me. He died for me so I wouldn't have to. Because if he didn't die, I would have had to die. Oh, I wish I had a witness here. I'd have had to die for my own sins. And you don't know what I did. You're looking at me now. And you see my life all put together. But if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have bust hell wide open. Somebody shout yeah. 
Somebody say, I'm glad. He saved me, redeemed me, washed me in the blood of the Lamb, filled me with the Holy Ghost. Yes! Somebody say, that's how I got saved. That's how I got saved. I believed that gospel message. I believe in Mary's baby. I believe. Oh my God. Oh my God. See Bo Pickett. Oh my God. I got to, I got to calm down because I got some more to shout about. I ain't through. Stop, 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 stop. Nope, not yet. Not yet. Hold on. Hold on. It's coming. Hold on. Because see, if we break into a shout now, we'll miss the other half. It's more to it than we're not going to hell. On the other side of the coin, you're going to see that you don't have to live in hell while you're waiting to go to heaven. <laughs> Baby, when I say he overcame, he overcame. <laughs> Somebody say, I have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And the words of my testimony. <laughs> See, y'all looking and some people acting real crazy right by now. But see, everybody who's acting up and cutting up, they're the ones who realize that they could not have put themselves in this position. Look at somebody say, I'm glad he was about his father's business. Now, look here. Look at what Isaiah said. Look at how Isaiah forecasted. Go to Isaiah. Come on, come on, hurry up. Come on, hurry. Come on, high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let all the world look to me for salvation. See, see God setting us up for his son to come. So think for a moment, will you? This, this is for those of you who may not be saved yet. Or those of you who are struggling with your identity. Or you struggling with your self-worth. Oh, we're going to all get free today. You're struggling with your self-worth because it's what somebody said to you or your failures or your mess-ups or whatever. Let me ask you a question. John 3, 14, go back to that. 
He says, he says, uh, just like the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so much the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now you think about God giving his only Son. Now let me ask you a question. I got to read it. Just think for a moment what it must have been like for God to give up his Son to save you. Just think about the weight of it. Giving, and, and several times he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And for three and a half years, the more Jesus did, the more he loved him. The more Jesus did, the more he, 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 he was proud of him. And can you imagine having to allow his son to go up on that cross? What it must have felt like. What it must have done to him in order to give his son up. But, but the other side of the coin is, what must you be worth to God? What must you be worth to God? For him to let his son go through all of that just to redeem you. You must have value. You must be worth something. You must have greatness in you. Because God wouldn't allow his son to die for you if you were worthless. If you were nothing. Somebody hug somebody and tell them you are worth something. You are valuable. God loves you. You are not what they called you. You are not your mistakes. You are not your mess ups. You are not other people's perception of you. You, my friend, are valuable. Oh, somebody worship him. I am valuable to God. Look at how much you were worth. Look at how much you were worth. Look at how much you were worth. That he was put his own son, whom he loved, up on a cross to die for you. Yeah, you made mistakes, but he said you're still worth it. You messed up in your lifetime, but he said, you know what he says? You're still worth it. There's not a day that I look at you to say it the Lord. That I say I regret letting him die for you. Oh, I want you to know you are still worth it. Somebody hug yourself and say, I'm worth it. I'm worth it. He did that thing for me. He said, he said that. He said it through his actions. He said, you're worth it. We got to close. So if you go to John 3, if you go to John 3, yeah, this is the right tone to end in. This is the right tone right here to end in. Somebody shout Yes. We can shout when we get home, but this is the right tone. This is the right tone to close this sermon out in. Oh, somebody say right tone, right tone, right tone, right tone. If you go back to John 12, John 12, you got to look at this. John 12, Elder Smith, you quoted it today during our conversation. I thank God for the way he works. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. Let every word be established. John 12, verse 31. Hallelujah. Look at what he says. Listen, everybody listen to me. Listen closely. Now is judgment. Now is the judgment of this world. Listen to Jesus speak. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, he said the ruler of this world will be cast out. See, we talk about all that power, the devil this and the devil that we give him way too much power. Jesus said, now is the judgment. 
of this world, when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the ruler uh, of this world will be, come on, cast out. Look at what he says in verse 32. And if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all people unto myself. Oh, uh, see, it's not just the drawing, Sheree, unto salvation, but, but, but it's Jesus in depression. Is he depressed? Is he, is he locked up and bound by depression? See, he says, baby, if you believe on me, he says, I'm here to draw you out this morning. Oh, uh, you don't have to be bound by sickness. You don't have to be bound by what happened to you in the past and, and the pain. If you're in pain today, he says, I came so that you might be drawn out. See, that's the Father's business, not just to save your soul and leave you in torment. He says, I sent my son so that if you believe on him, he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw. I came to draw you out of the pain of your past. I, I came to draw you out of the afflictions. I came to draw you out of depression and anxiety and fear. I came to draw you out of torment. I came to draw you out of despair. I came to draw you out of your history. Your history no longer defines you. I came to draw you out. All you got to do is believe, believe. So Colossians 2 says this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away. Each time I hit this mic, it represents them nailing Jesus to the cross. All of your sins, all of your shortcomings, all of your history. He says, when they nailed Jesus, I nailed it. Don't let your mistakes hold you back. Don't let the fact that you messed up hold you there. He says, when they nailed Jesus, I nailed your sin. It's on the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, the King James uses the words principality and powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. When they lifted Jesus up from the earth, he said, he said, that's all they need to do is lift me up. That's why he never said a mumbling word because he didn't want to say anything that would keep them from lifting him because he already said if I be lifted up from the earth I'll draw all men 
I come to tell you this morning that Jesus has been lifted. He's been lifted. And everything that the enemy has been speaking over your life, some of you, the enemy has been speaking to you and he's been tormenting you. And he's been, he's been, he's been literally, he's been literally mocking you. And you've been feeling unworthy and you've been feeling beat down and battered and you've been feeling like, like God doesn't love you and he couldn't love you. He, he couldn't possibly want you. He couldn't possibly use you. I just want to say one thing. Look up. For your redeemer. He says, I just want to draw you right now. I want to draw you. Now, here's the thing. He says, I'm drawing you. Just get up and walk. Just get up and come. He says, I'm drawing you. Come on, right now. Just make the move. Don't, don't resist. He said, I'm drawing you right now. He says, I've already been lifted up. I prophesied it. I said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Come to Jesus right now. Come to Jesus right now. Come on. Come to Jesus right now. If you came before, come back. If you fail, come back. Come on. He says, come to me right now. Come to me right now. Don't sit in your seat. Don't stay where you are. He said, come to me. If you want to be delivered from anything, it's in Jesus. It's nailed to the cross of Calvary. It's already been done. All you got to do is believe today. See that serpent? That serpent that bit them in the wilderness, they were dying. And see, you look around, you look around at people in this room, and the only difference, the only difference between people who didn't die and people who died is the people who didn't die had faith enough to look up. See, they didn't do anything. They, they aren't extra special. They aren't extra holy. They don't have an extra special gift or anointing. All they did was realize that, you know what, if I don't look up, I'm going to die like this. And I'm going to tell you, I don't want to die in any other state other than the state that God wants me in. So what is it that you're allowing to hold you down? Are you allowing that thing that happened to you to still hold power over you? See, you know what that is? You want to know what that is? That's a byproduct of sin in the earth. But he says he took the power of sin. So that means you don't have to be in depression, anxiety, fear, dread. You don't have to live your life lower than what God said. You, you don't have to do that anymore. All you have to do is come. See, many times we sit in church and we hear a word and we, we say, I know that was for me. I know that was for me. But then there's a call to move. There's a call to do something and we let pride get in the way. And we stay in our seat because we're worried about what other people who had to come will think about us. Ain't nobody thinking about you. The reason they ain't thinking about you is because right now they're remembering the day they came. That's what's going through the mind of everybody in this room right now, the day they came. It's, either two, it's two groups of people. Somebody thinking, I need to go. Or somebody saying, I'm glad I went. Oh, you said it, sir. And some of us had to go again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. So glad that you are about your father's business. So glad that not only are we delivered from hell and delivered from sin, but we're delivered from the power of it. You nailed it all to the cross of Calvary. It's a finished work. 
So sin no longer has power over us. Not even the thing that sin spawned off in the earth. Because anything less than your perfect will originates with sin. So we could go down the list of different things that plague the people of God. That the people of God wrestle with and that they feel like they're going to have to fight with for the rest of their life. And they're just waiting on that day when they get to heaven so that everything can be better. Because so much stuff is tormenting them and making their lives literally miserable. While they wait to get to church and get another word so they can feel just a little bit better. But today we proclaim by the word of the Lord that sin's power has been canceled. We're not only free from the penalty of death and an eternity in hell, but we're free from all of the things that sin brought our way. We are victorious in Christ Jesus. You spoiled principalities and powers and made an open show of them on the cross. Thank you for your finished work. You said at the beginning of your ministry, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But at the close of your ministry, you said it is finished. Thank you for what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give God praise.